When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status and the For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prude. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great Scott. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm looking at song! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 140 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian D. Felice, joined by Bridget Brew and Scott McLaughlin. Well, the home streak has come to an end. The Bruins are 14-0-1. They lose to the Vegas Golden Knights 4-3 in a shootout. That means, yes, old friend Bruce Cassidy and company were the ones to poetically end the hottest home streak in league history. So, guys, I'll throw it to you, um, you know, Tonight was a movie. For, tonight was a movie for Bruce Cassidy. Yeah, and you know, I'm glad the Bruins made it a game because obviously they started very poorly. They gave up two goals in the first five and a half minutes. Uh, you know, then another in the first minute of the second period, and you're like, you know, we really haven't seen them have that just complete off night, that you know, total no show where they're never even competitive, and and it's like. Oh man, like did do they really save it for the Bruce Cassidy night? Like, is this gonna be their no show where they just get their doors blown off? But they did bounce back and they they come all the way back and, and tie it three three, force overtime, get a point. Um had a chance to win in overtime, had a power play, uh couldn't do it, and you know, shootout goes first four rounds no one scores and then ends up being another old friend riley smith who wins it for vegas but uh yeah that one definitely had to feel good for bruce cassidy uh he got at the first tv timeout he gets his video tribute on the jumbotron um a nice ovation from the crowd i think i heard like very 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 few booze mixed in but for the most part it very warm reception, lots of cheers. Um, Who was that, Don and Cam booing them? <laughs> <laughs> it was coming from the ninth floor. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't hear any boos though. I, I like. I, I heard know. just a couple. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, and he acknowledges it. He gives a wave and was clearly pretty emotional. I think the TV cameras caught him. Not quite crying, but you could think like kind of on the verge, you know, clearly emotional. Um, and then after the game, he said, you know, yeah, it was emotional. He, he said he thought he was about to get emotional again at talking about it after the game. And, and he didn't, he, he kept it together, but well, well, uh, the, it was the classic, like roll out of it with a joke so that I don't make myself yeah. cry. Like that's how I cope with like, if I feel like I'm going to cry, just like crack a joke real quick, make myself laugh. Let's not, let's not do this. Yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, we'll get in all obviously into the Bruins side, but obviously a, a great win for Vegas to come in and beat the best team in the NHL without their star center. Jack Eichel was out. Um, he's day to day with a lower body injury and, and really sucked for him not being able to play because obviously from Chelmsford went to BU. He hasn't played in Boston in three years. December, 2019 was the last time he got, got a chance to play in Boston. Obviously he had, you know, basically two seasons derailed by injuries. Um, so he's out. Vegas also doesn't have the number one defenseman, Alex Petrangelo, uh, who's out with out for personal reasons. And uh, they still come in and get, and get the win. And, you know, we knew the home winning streak was going to end eventually. They weren't going 41 and 0 at home. Um, and, 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 you know, in a lot of ways, like this kind of felt like a, a fitting way to end. Like they, they still, you know, made it a respectable a night. They didn't, they didn't, yeah, they got a point. They didn't get their doors blown off. Um, and it came against a good team. Came against a team with the best record in the Western Conference. I felt like once you like they had another three goal comeback, and you're just like, okay, well they're gonna win. When they had that come from behind, like they tie it, like Hall's goal. Um, I'm just thinking like, wow, somehow they're gonna find a way to win this one too because you know they just do it. They and when they got down three to nothing. Scott was like, I hope no one left after or tuned out after they got down by three. And I, and I was like, they should, people should know better at this point than to tune out when they're losing. Because I remember the Pittsburgh game, they were well behind and playing like crap. And then they ended up winning in overtime. And then this one goes to overtime too. So um, they're never out of it. Um, even though they lost and it, it ends the, the streak, they still get a point out of it. They, like Scott said, they didn't look terrible and there's still positives like you could take away from it because they had a really really slow start I thought that I thought honestly that Montgomery should have mixed things up earlier um when they gave up that second goal in the first period I was just like something looks stagnant like they just like their forward lines could have used shaking up earlier in my opinion that second line started out really really slow um, Krejci did not have a, a really good first period and part of the second period. Um, I was looking at the stats. Well, first of all, Pasternak and Krejci were on the ice for two of those three goals. Um, they st- didn't have a lot of time offensively. And part of the reason was because Krejci in the beginning of the game could not want to face off. I think by like midway through the second period, w- which was when he turned it around, he was only like 33% at the dot. He didn't have a great game to start. Um, and that led to that line really not getting a lot of chances. And I was really hoping actually Montgomery 
move Pasternak up with Bergeron earlier. It just seemed like one of those games he was going to need to. Eventually he does, but mostly just saved that for the end of the second period, like that last minute of the second period and then into the third period. He kept it like that most of the way. Um, but it felt needed tonight. Yeah, I mean, I think they had a – the second period, I thought the Bruins carried play. I thought they carried play for the majority of the third thought the last seven or eight minutes, it was fantastic back-and-forth hockey after the game was 3-3. For me, you know, you have to question why they got off to such a sluggish 20 minutes considering that they were playing Bruce and they were playing Vegas. It was obvious that Vegas was going to be ready to go at the drop of the puck. Um, you know, I, I, to be fair, yes, Bruce knows the Bruins' tendencies, and uh, I think that was part of their troubles early on. But you know, I didn't love their start. I thought it was—I thought that was concerning. Yes, they ended up out shooting Vegas pretty much two to one over the course of sixty plus. But yeah, it just goes to show you can't you, you, great resolve to come back and tie the game, but you can't get yourself down against good teams because you end up chasing the game as opposed to you know being in a driver's seat, and and that's not a recipe for success. Um, come springtime, and I, I bring spring springtime up because Vegas is a playoff style team. Uh, they play solid team defense. So, um, yeah, Krejci, I didn't think he had his skating legs. Uh, I almost felt like he looked like he was sick. I don't know that he just seemed a little bit off and behind. I don't think he was because especially at the end there, they're playing him on like an all forward power play unit and they're playing him in overtime. But like for a second, I was questioning, like, maybe he's just like sick because he was off. Well, I think it's I think when he skated by Vegas's bench and saw Bruce staring at him, he got a little. Little tummy ache. That's probably what that was. But um, same with Debrusque. I think he was feelable under the weather too. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Some of those guys look gun shy in the first period. Like, like, like they're waiting for him to correct something that they did after after a shift. It was kind of, it was kind of funny. I don't want to ramble too much, Scott. I mean, what, what were your what were your thoughts on the uh, the opening twenty for them? Yeah, I mean, just just not good. Like, just wasn't ready to go at all. Um, the Turnover by Pasternak in the second goal. It was like, yeah, Vegas was, you know, forechecking well and disrupting the Bruins' breakout. But I don't know, like, what on earth Pasternak's looking at there or why he thought that was open. Like, he just gave it right to um, Jonathan Marcheseau. Uh, goes in alone, gets two whacks at it. Swayman makes the first save. Um, and he buries the rebound. Uh, the first goal, you know, I think Carlo lost a couple battles on that shift. Um, and the kid, Paul Cotter, he's the one who moves up to the top line with Eichel out. He ends up getting two of Vegas's goals. Um, and then the, you know, okay, so you weather that, you get into the intermission at 2 nothing, And then to come out and give up, a goal in the first minute of the second period, it was like, especially the way they gave it up where it was, it was Cotter and stone who kind of combined on, on the play and Cotter comes in with just like all the time and space in the world, basically walks from the blue line to the slot untouched, like completely unharassed. Doesn't even have like a stick on him. And it's like, what on earth? Like you would think, it w things would have been cleaned up after the first and they would have come back with like a little more resolve to start the second. And then, you know, 
basically the second shift of the period, they their defense just gets completely shredded. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, credit to them for for eventually getting on track, but it, yeah, definitely, like you do wonder like what how that how it happened that they got off to such a poor start and then came out after the first period and you know still didn't have it to start the second. Um, yeah, you know, it, they haven't done it often. They, they've, they've had a couple slower starts, but for the most part, they've been pretty good in the first period. So I think you chalk it up as an off night, as long as it doesn't become a trend. Um, but to your point, like you would have thought this was a game they would have been, would have been up for ready to go. And, and, you know, yeah. So Cassidy knows them. He knows how to disrupt them. But I didn't think that was like the entire reason for for their first period. I thought they were just playing poorly on their own, regardless of of what the opponent was doing. Yeah. By the way, just to like when when Cotter scored that second goal, I was like, I gotta look this kid up because he's someone that I've not really heard of too much. And this was only his twenty fourth career game. I mean, he's still young. He's twenty three, but he played a majority of last season in the minors. He gets elevated. I mean, obviously it helps when you get elevated to the first line. Um, but it was just, he had two goals the whole season coming into the game and scored two goals in the game. So he doubled his whole season's worth of goals just tonight. Um, and a few, a few points that you guys said earlier um, about like the playoff style team um montgomery said it did feel like a playoff game um and and like acknowledged that the building was very loud um it just kind of it did have a playoff game feel to it the building's been loud a lot this year which is which has been nice um but yeah and and another thing um just a note on taylor hall because i forget what you guys said earlier but it reminded me that um, Hall, I think it was getting into the hole. Hall was like, yeah, that was, that was it for us. Like we knew we could come back, but when you put yourself in a hole like that, like that, you know, you're, you're pretty much setting yourself up to lose. So, um, he acknowledged that after the game and he said that he thought they had like a prime chance to finish the game in overtime when they had that four on three, when DeBrus drew the penalty. And once again, they went to that, a uh, four, like an all forward power play unit. Um, and he said, I thought that was really our chance to win it. And, um, you know, that was a, a missed opportunity for them. Which wasn't even really a penalty, by the way. That was no, a, that it was wasn't. a very I, soft call. When I came back home, I caught the end of the game again. And I saw that and I didn't think that that was really too much of a, of a call. But um, anyway, you do either way, they get the power play and they weren't able to capitalize on it the way that hall did in the in the third period when he tied things up on the power play at the very end of the five on three like it almost like in my book was still a five on three because um the player coming out of the box wasn't in in any position to defend yet so um it was like a few seconds after that so technically they didn't end up with a power play (laughs) a leftover after it but um you know game tied anyway uh and you usually want to see that kind of, um, you know, outcome when you get a five on three. So um, that was an opportunity they didn't let pass them up. Yeah, and if it wasn't for a uh, breakaway save by Swayman when the game was three nothing on, I think it was 
was it Riley Smith or Mark Stone? I forget who it was, but um, I mean, that game could have been four nothing. And then you're really talking about a hole you can't get out of. So um, as far as the, um, I, I, I've talked with you guys about this before. I, I don't love the all forward look on the power play. I don't care if it's four on three or five, five on three. I, I just, I get it. Like I know Krejci can make plays. I know they can all make plays. I just, I, I just think they try to be a little bit, I don't know. Krejci tries to get too cute sometimes at the top. And then they, when they do dump the puck down the ice, he takes a sweet ass time back there getting it. And it's just like, give me McAvoy, get some tempo up there or, or Lindholm or somebody. Um, one thing I wanted to, I wanted to comment on too, guys, it's I've noticed this year and it's something I've commented on in the past as well. Like one common theme I've noticed in games or periods where the Bruins just don't look sharp. It starts in your own end and it starts with transition and I've said this a million times. I'm going to keep saying it if they keep going against my goddamn word. Um, please, please, please keep Carlo away from Lindholm. I understand the, the the thought process of splitting up Lindholm and McAvoy, especially against really deep teams, even though they had some injuries. Vegas did. Just don't put Carlo with Lindholm. I, he takes he takes a lot away from his transition game. And if you notice in the first period, the Bruins couldn't break the puck out. They couldn't do much of anything. And I just think that it's one of those situations where if you have the optimal D pairs together, whether it's Lindholm with Clifton or Lindholm with McAvoy, it just helps move the puck better, especially when you're sluggish. And I, I think the Bruins try to get Carlo involved in the top four and, and split up their, t- their two top defensemen. That's fine. Just don't have him be with Carlo because it takes away from what makes the Bruins so good this year, which is their transition from defense to offense. Otherwise, you're just like most other teams. So – I don't know. That was my two cents too. I I noticed that the, like from the beginning until part, even the whole game, just in smaller doses later on, the transition game was not as good as it normally was. They were, you know, making turnovers at the blue line there or in the neutral zone. They, they weren't getting clears. They, they had a hard time with their transition game. And that's part of the reason why they ended up in the hole. Um, yeah, it, it did get it did get better though. I it mean, got like, better, but there was still times. Yeah, it got better. It it got cleaner. There were still times they were they didn't look great in transition, but it did get better throughout the game. And to your point about Carlo Lindholm, I didn't. I mean, they didn't start the game with that like line chart. Like technically, like how how things started out was you know it was Grizzlick. And Carlo, um, which isn't as bad an option, but I agree. I actually would rather have Lind- Lindholm, Clifton, Carlo, Forbert. Um, just try it. Just, I mean, they're two big guys, so that's you. You worry about that, but um, when they were out there together, they they looked they looked okay. There, that's a pair that's not going to be great in transition, but at least you know what you can expect, and it's not like like you said pulling Lindholm's game that that aspect of his game down yeah i mean honestly like for now i would just stick with lindholm mcavoy grizzly carlo like i didn't think there was really anything wrong with that when they've been rolling with it the last couple games um and obviously we know what forborn clifton can do to can do together um to your point though like i i think it's because montgomery doesn't want to use that forward Carlo pairing maybe he will at some point but I think he, he 
he wants more mobility than that on on all three pairs. Um, so that's you know, so if you're not gonna have Lindholm and McAvoy together, and you are gonna split them up, whether it's for matchup purposes or just changing things in game because you think something has to change. If if you're not gonna go, if you're not gonna give Forbert Carlo a shot, then your only option is Grizzly McAvoy, Lindholm, Carlo, um, which you're. It, it, it kind of reminds me. It's not quite the same, but it reminds me of like when McAvoy was with Forbert last year, where it's like, all right, like it's not bad. Like the the results could still be fine. But you know you're not maximizing McAvoy. Like having Forbert next to him just wasn't the way to get the best out of out of McAvoy's game. And I think Brian, you're spot on. Like it's the same thing here, where it's like, okay, can Lindholm, Carlo hold their own? Can they survive? Like, sure. I mean, they're they're two pretty smart players. They're not going to do too many stupid things. But you're definitely not maximizing Lindholm in that pairing, at least not the way they've been playing. Maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe Carlo picks it up, maybe can get more going in transition, but we haven't seen that much. When You know, what Carlo's done well this year is he's defended well. And, you know, first goal tonight aside, uh, as, you know, as I already said, he did get, lose a couple battles on that shift. That was just a, a bad shift for him. Um, for the most part, he's been really solid defensively, but yeah, you put him on a pairing that, or you put him with someone who wants to move and, um, you know, at least him and Lindholm haven't quite found that chemistry yet. Grizzlick is someone who also wants to move that Carlos played more with. And I think they, they have a little bit of a better understanding of each other and, you know, Grizzlick obviously isn't going to be the same with Carlo as he is with McAvoy, but I think Grizzlick still has found a way to be effective and do what he does best um, playing with Carlo. So that's why, like to me, I would just stick with that and and have your your super number one pairing with Lindholm and McAvoy, and then basically two pairings that are second pairings or two slash threes and depending on how the game's going or, you know, what the matchup is. Uh, some games, Grizzly Carlo plays more. Some games, Forbert Clifton plays more. I feel like I feel like the reason, and you might think I'm trying to make a joke, but I'm really not. Uh, Carlo played with Krug in Grizzly, and you're right. He seems to play fine with them, and they are really good skaters. Krug is a great skater. Grizzly was a great skater. But I think there's a difference between – being a deep partner with a great skater who is, you know, under six feet tall and being with really good skaters like Lindholm and McAvoy, who are, you know, six, two, six, three, six, four, like their strides are that much longer, but they, but they're as good of skaters as Krug and Grizzly. So it's almost like when he's, even though Krug and Grizzly were great skaters, Carlo could kind of keep up with them in a sense, because he had those longer strides where is when he's out there with Lindholm, he's not out striding Lindholm and Lindholm can skate like the wind, like those other guys could. So it's a little bit of a different dynamic, despite those guys being good skaters. Um, but yeah, it's just like for me when I watch Carlo and Lindholm together, it's like uh, it's like I'm watching Mean Girls when Gretchen Wieners keeps saying fetch, and Regina George is like, "Stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. Just stop trying to make Carlo Lindholm happen. It's just not going <laughs> to happen." 
they just don't think the game on the same level. They don't have continuity. It's just not there. Well, to that point, one thing I would say is um, just because of the, like, the way you put that reminds me of last year, early in the season, Grizzly and Carlo were terrible together early on last season. Like, I think at one point they were getting outscored nine to one at five on five when they were on the ice. And I think I, I either wrote something or said it on here about how like Cassidy needs to keep Grizzly and Carlo apart and like just just give up on it. Well, he he went away from it for a while for like probably a month or two and then went back to him in the second half and they were much better together. Like, you know, sometimes sometimes you can come back to something later on and it works better. And like we see that with Hall and Coyle now. They didn't have chemistry last year and now they look better together. Um, and once again, it, did, it adds up too because you're talking about a similar situation where Lindholm is new and you know, Carlo, it takes a little bit of time like he to adjust maybe to that, the way that Hall and Coyle weren't familiar with each other um, until Hall came over and it took some time. Yeah, just to, to put some numbers on this, quick trip to uh, Stats Corner. There we go. Lindholm, Carlo, ba- basically even in terms of Corsi, 3-3 uh, in terms of actual goals, 46.9% of expected goals. Like, that's not great. Then you look at Grizzly Carlo this year, 54.4% Corsi, 6-2 Bruins in actual goals when they're on the ice, and 63.3% of expected goals. Like, that's a good defense pairing. I don't I don't see any reason to keep trying to change that. Well, Lindholm, was Lindholm McAvoy Lindholm, has been successful. Forward Lindholm Clifton, Clift, like, wasn't Lindholm Clifton doing pretty decent numbers as well? Yeah, Lindholm Clifton was really good together. They um, Bruins outscored opponent have outscored opponents eight to one with Lindholm Clifton on the ice. I mean, I'm cool with them going back to that. I I just know that that whole Forbert Carlo situation is what keeps it from. I don't know. I don't know why they're so afraid of it. I really don't either. And Clifton, by the way, Clifton hasn't played the same, but not next to Lindholm and Lindholm's not Lindholm's numbers have come back down to earth as well. Um, They had good chemistry. They played well with each other. Clifton's, you know, fast. And we saw the offensive side of his game really pick up this year when he played with Lindholm. So, and you, you know what I noticed today too, Clifton was getting some of the highest minutes on the team. Um, when McAvoy was out and it was Lindholm Clifton and he had the fewest minutes for any defenseman tonight, I believe. Yeah. He only had 14 and a half minutes. Um, and you know, you've seen his time just drop off and I just feel like they could make more use of him than they, than they have been. Yeah. I just, I just come back to the get. I'm just not going to overthink this right now. I look at it and Lindholm McAvoy has been a good pairing. Grizzly Carlo has been a good pairing. Forbert Clifton has been a good pairing. You have three good pairings. I don't, I don't know why I'm trying to change that, but God, it's our job, bro. Don't take our job away. We're all going to be unemployed. I'm with, I'm with, I'm with you though, Scott. Like it's, it's again, when you're off to a 20 and three start, I don't understand why, you know, you're, over over analyzing how you want to match up against other teams like you i don't know we, we've we've talked about it plenty for this episode i suppose i think uh i think we're all on the same page i just i'm i mean, 
I just don't need to see Carlo and uh, Carlo and and Lindholm. I think there's um, literally way better options. There's multiple different options: Carl uh, McAvoy, Lindholm, or McAvoy, Grizzly, and Carlo and Forbert and Clifton and Lindholm. Just anything but what we talked about. So, but Carlo did factor in on the Bruins' first goal. Did you have something to say, Bridget? Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say if we if we wanted to change, but if you guys wanted to stick with defense, we can. I was gonna say um also had some thoughts about the bottom six, especially the fourth line. Go for it. Take it away. Um so third line, so I listened, even though I wasn't able to be on the podcast on Saturday, um, because I was in Connecticut, which I always feel bad for missing, but um I was doing the wonderful drive home from New Haven, which I love, two-hour drive. Um, and I heard you guys, what you said about Frederick and the game he had, the, the two-goal game he had against the Avs, um, and about how he just seems to be moving his legs more. Um, and I felt like he had another decent showing. He did take a penalty. Um, but in the time that he was on the ice, he was effective. He was moving. He was using his speed. Um I thought Coyle had a good game. He's always been a good penalty killer. He did that again today. And when he was with Hall, I, I thought that that line did well. Fourth line, I had some issues with. I think everyone did. I think Nosek maybe had his worst game of the season. Um, I think because of that, Felino and Greer, well, especially Felino, because Felino has been able to get things going at, at different times, um, they kind of suffered. and that line didn't get all that much time because no sick was, yeah, he just was not good. And, and by the way, when, when your role is, and you know, your role, your role is to, you know, not be a defensive liability when face offs and kill penalties and you put yourself in the box um, and you're not able to, you know, kill off a penalty and you take, you take the penalty because you couldn't clear the puck and then you have to try to put pressure on, you know, after the turnover and you hold a guy. And I just thought that he, usually you want him to kind of like break even and, and he was definitely a a negative on the team tonight um, that I just thought he played pretty, pretty poorly. Yeah, he had that brutal play in the first period where he it's a three on two. He's the trailer joining the rush, gets a pass in, in the high slot. Just a great A opportunity. And he throws a pass instead of taking the shot, he throws a pass over to Greer and just like flat out misses him by like five feet. Like pass just <laughs> wasn't near him. I wonder if something sometimes this happens to me. Like, have you ever tried to like you, you are like thinking two things at the same time. So you can't do either of them well. So you're like thinking, should I shoot or should I pass? And you just do something in between and just, just looks terrible. <laughs> like sometimes I'm like trying to talk and when I'm on a broadcast and I'll think of one word, then I'll think of another word that's better. And I'll say them like mix them together. <laughs> so like that kind of was what I thought. And the, the funny thing was live, the crowd reacted to it. Like, like something had like someone died. Like the reaction was like, I thought I was missing something at first. I was like, was there a penalty that I missed? Like, what? They were like, "Oh, <laughs> I know." Like, oh, I just were really mad at that pass. I've, I've never, I've never heard a crowd react like 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 that before to a play. It was it, you're <laughs> you're spot on, Bridget. It was like it, it, it was an audible just gasp, like like sheer disappointment. Like, what the hell was that? For for seventeen thousand people to do that at once, that was pretty funny. 
it wasn't even like a oh it was like a yeah like you like you said bridge was like oh so, yeah that was i don't know what yeah. the hell that was that that happens to me in the press box where like i i get caught between reaching for my keyboard to type and reaching for the popcorn and and i just get caught in between and you know my and hands then he just, chokes and then he my chokes hands just like popcorn. awkwardly hanging out there i no, that's true bridge he I choked on popcorn to today and i said yeah. i said scott I wouldn't expect you to go any other way. And he said, yes, I died doing what I love. Scott, Scott, talk talk us through your, uh, what's your, what's your routine when you, when you get up there for every game? Like what's the first thing you do? You go right to the, right to the machine. Popcorn. Yep. Right get, to the popcorn. get, get, get popcorn, eat popcorn. Can't, can't confirm. <laughs> He's like a caveman. Can oh confirm today. That's the first place I saw him. And I fired <laughs> off a few really beautiful photos that I took of him in, you know, in his natural habitat near the popcorn machine. <laughs> anyway, uh, must, it must, must be typed to, must be hard to type when you have uh, butter all over your fingers, but hey, <laughs> well, listen, yeah. I was, I was heading My over to get the mess. popcorn and Scott beat me there. And I thought there was going to be like a fight over it. And he has a weird popcorn technique, by the way, to fill his bucket. Anyway, um, <laughs> he doesn't even use a scoop. What, he just use the, the use, he just puts his face there? right in the yeah. machine. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just grab a, a whole handful. Yeah, just hands. Very unsanitary. No, I'm just kidding. He just puts the whole bowl in there and just hopes it comes out full. Um. All right. I think we should uh, we should probably move along in the game here. So the Bruins go down three zero. Um, as we alluded to earlier, Carlo, um, pitched in on, 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 uh, Martian's goal to make it three to one. He, uh, moved up to Bergeron, Bergeron found Martian cross crease three to one. And then Bruins start feeling it even more so. And then with about 25, 24 seconds left design play McAvoy, um, rims it hard around the boards. Bergeron lets it go. Um, Pashnak takes it on his forehand, does a spin around at the same time, just, you know, wrists it home. Oh, elite, elite play. Um, unlike his giveaway in the first period. Um, By the so, way, like the symmetry of it, that was basically the same exact spot, like the same exact place along the boards that he committed the turnover. Obviously, you know, one was D zone because it was first period, the other O zone because it was second period, but same exact place on the ice. Yeah, I mean, just a f- fantastic finish on that play. Makes it 3-2. Huge goal going into the third period. And then, um, you know, Taylor Hall ties it on the, on the power play in the third. And, you know, the rest is history. Do you guys have any takeaways from just the Bruins' um, I guess comeback in the second half of the game? Um, and just going to throw this out there as well. Scott, I know you sent us some, something uh, earlier this week. A listener was looking for some updates on the Pashnak uh, contract negotiations and our feedback on that. So I think we should put them in the back table for now. Um, if you guys had any thoughts on the second half of the game, when they came back, if not, we can just go right to that. Um, to Bridget's point, like highlighting Frederick's play spot on. Uh, he led when he was on the ice, he had the, he had the best course, best expected goals for the Bruins. They out-attempted Vegas 18-7 to when he was on the ice. And just another really good game for that third line of Hall, Coyle, and Frederick in general. Um, when when they're on the ice, the Bruins outshot Vegas 7-1 to tonight. Um, you know, they, they didn't score, but I thought they were 
consistently at the rack, consistently had the puck in the offensive zone making plays. So, you know, we've obviously we've talked about it before, but like having that kind of a third line playing like that, it's especially when, you know, we waited for the top line to get going five on five and, um, you know, they, they got another, well, they got two five and five goals, really. So, you know, one, uh, I think, was with DeBrusque, and then one was after Pasternak got moved up there. Um, you know, and, and the second line uh, at times has been a little hit or miss, but, like, to have that third line that can bring it and kind of pick it up if, if one of the top two lines is having a little bit of an off night is huge. So I just wanted it- to quickly touch on that. It's especially big when it looks like there's like the top two lines did have a slower start, especially like I mentioned the that Krejci line had, um, you know, a pretty slow start. So you're looking for that spark that can change the momentum and all four of the lines, uh, you know, as they are, do have the ability to provide a spark if they're playing the game the way that they're supposed to play the game. Like, so with the coil line, I did think that they added energy to the, to the game when they were on the ice doing what they do best, which is, you know, possession, Frederick mixing it up after the whistle. Um, just the third and fourth line both have the ability to kind of play that way and, and add energy. And I think that the fourth line did not do that today, <laughs> but the third line um, did a good job of that and just doing the right things consistently over and over again, you know, on face-off wins, on, the penalty kill Frederick even spent some time on the penalty kill. Um, you know, I just, I thought as a whole, they all played well. And then when you pull hall off of it for a little bit to just try him, you know, on that power play unit with five forwards, um, you know, he's, he scores, but, um, obviously the other two aren't out there, but he's technically your third line guy now. So, um, and by the way, on that, not to like keep switching subjects randomly, but um, on that power play goal by Hall, I don't know if you noticed this, Scott, but I, you see the all forward unit come out. And then at one point, right after that whistle for the faceoff, um, I saw one just one player change out and it was Hall for DeBrusque. And so Hall comes on. And it was a, a great move, it turns out, because Hall's the one who ends up finishing. So um, that was just something interesting. I, I like took a mental note of because I was like, oh, just one person switching out, and that's who came on. We'll take away the uh, take away the first period because I think everybody kind of sucks in the first period for the Bruins. Um, I mean, from the, from the second period on, Hall was really, really strong. Um, as he was uh, against Colorado and, and, and other games of late, but you know, he's, he, he's playing with a lot of confidence. He's, 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 he's carrying the puck through, you know, uh, he's gaining zone entry a lot more than he has been in, uh, in, in the past. Um, him, Coyle and Frederick, they're all doing a great job of um, protecting the puck down low. They're all strong on the puck. Um, Trent Frederick is, you can just see the confidence building for him. And, you know, he, he made one play today. It was, it wasn't anything crazy. It was just something that exemplified how much confidence he has and how he's, he's starting to figure this game out at at this level where there was like a loose puck in, in, in his D zone. He was on the, uh, on the left wing boards and 
kind of a race for the puck and he just kind of like chipped it off the off the boards um past the the, the oncoming Vegas player and kind of deked around him and went and got it and it was just like okay that's that's a play Trent Frederick didn't wasn't doing before it was just kind of a nifty little play but uh yeah I mean I I think that that line was really strong uh for sure oh um, yeah be- before we get to the question the the listener question um someone we haven't talked about at all this game was Bergeron and I have just two quick things. Um, first of all, that pass to set up the Marshawn goal was absolutely perfect. At first, live, I thought it was a shot that Marshawn whacked in. But then on the replay, it's very clear that he just hit Marshawn the perfect time, you know, perfect spot to finish it. Made it look easy. Both of them made it look easy. Second of all, there was a very scary, like almost horrible injury that happened with him behind the play. And I originally didn't see exactly what happened because it happened so fast. And I heard someone say, oh, that's not good. And I looked over and Bergeron was still down um, and he kind of started skating slowly. And I'm like, I missed it. I I have to like look down at my monitor, see what happened. And come to find out he nearly like lost an eye. A skate hit him in the face. Like I knew it was his face because he skated off, like kept like touching his nose, like touching his face area. And it looked a little bit red. But that was so close to being really, really bad. Yeah, I noticed that. That was scary. That was very scary. Uh, Scott, did you pick up on that? Yeah, well, I, I, I only – like, I would seen that something happened, but I only noticed it was the skate after Bridget pointed it out. Yeah, I, um, I poked Scott because Scott yeah. and I – Scott, lucky Scott gets to sit next to me every game. So I'm poking Scott. I'm like, Scott, you just got to skate in the face. And so I – and then I came home and like I said, I caught the end of the game again when I first got home and we were waiting for Scott and I am the slow-mo of it. It's just like we're centimeters away from him, like get like getting a huge cut on his nose or his eye. And it's just like, that can be a career ending injury. And you would really hate to see something like that happen to him, like at the end. And, and I just almost like a, Go, like all goes through your mind at the same time. I was like, wow, that was really lucky. Um, and those are like very rare, but very serious injuries when the skate comes up like that in the face. And he just happened to be falling down towards the other player's feet and just. Well, it's surprising. It doesn't happen more often. I mean, there's, you think about how many, like you said, it's very, it's very, um, I just smacked my microphone. It's uh, it's very rare to see it, but you you think about all the all the net mount scrambles and you know guys tripping over each other and their legs going flying like like that example. It's uh, well, and someone brought it up the other day too, and so I just recently was having a conversation about this. The time that I forget who it was who got the skate blade in their neck, David and Booth. the the trainer came out and pinched off his arteries so that he didn't bleed out, <laughs> like. It's, it's very it's dangerous. A couple times. I mean, the most famous was, or infamous or whatever was Clint Malarchuk, the Sabres Yeah, goalie. that's who it was. That's who it uh, was. Yeah, it happened to Richard Zednick, too, and that was probably like mid-late 2000s. Oh, yeah, that's who I was thinking of, Zednick. I said, I said, yeah. what did I say? What was that guy's name? Booth? David Booth? He played uh, Florida. Yeah. But that, it, was, it was Zednick. That's, that's the Florida guy. It was Zednick, yeah. I mean, it happened, it happened to Evander Kane last month. Yeah. Uh, obviously yeah. to his wrist. But, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's scary shit. 
Um, all right. Those so, are just just because we hadn't talked about Bergeron. I just want to bring those few little things up about him. I feel like a lot of times we don't talk about him because it's just like, yeah, Bergeron being Bergeron. So uh, I just figured I'd say. Well, that. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna bring him up, I mean, might might as well talk about too. I mean, he was talking to Bruce Cassidy after the game. I think it's worth talking about that. I mean, we haven't really talked much about um, Cassidy on this episode. I mean, because I mean, he's not a player, but so there's only so much we can really talk about. I mean, obviously the. Um, the tribute was great. I love seeing that. Um, I, I did. I did notice in his in his post game comments. He, it was very subtle. I'm sure he meant nothing by it, but he um, he said he has like respect for. Uh, I think he said just about everybody in that in that locker. I referred to the Bruins locker room. Just about everybody isn't everybody. So I I, I, yeah. I don't know. I kind of read into that a little bit. And and then like a couple seconds later, he kind of like repeated the line and said everyone. Um, but yeah, I, I noticed that too. But I, you know, I don't know if there's much to it. Like he could have also just meant that he doesn't know everyone because there are a couple new players. But um, what, like Zaka? <laughs> it's just, it's, you know, yeah. it, it, it's also weird too because, like, in his post game comments, it's so strange because, like, I'm so used to watching, you know, Bruce do interviews about the Bruins, and you know, he's referring to all the players with their nicknames. Like he's talking about how Cliffy's jumping into the rush more and, and, you know, Grizz, I was talking to Grizz's dad and, you know, Marsh's goal and Bergie's pass, like all this stuff. And it's just like, it's like, Oh yeah, that's right. Like you're not their coach anymore. It's just like, it's, it's, it's weird to hear him talk like that, but he's not, he's not their coach, but it just goes to show how close he knows everybody. He's been there for six years or was here for six years. Um, I will say this, like, I'm glad if the Bruins, we all know the Bruins streak is going to come to an end. Um, I'm glad it didn't come to, you know, at the hands of like the blue jackets on a Tuesday and it, and it was, <laughs> it, it was Bruce Cassidy and it was a great hockey game. I mean, that really, like we talked about the first period wasn't the greatest of the Bruins at all. They dug themselves in the hole. And when they did tie the game, they squandered chances on the power play that they probably shouldn't have been on. Um, so, th- so, you know, despite out shooting Vegas, the Bruins did, they did, you know, have their reasons for losing this game, but it was a great game. So if it had yeah. to happen, I'm glad it was Bruce. And and Cassidy, like at the end of his post game availability, was asked, you know, what do you think about a rematch in the spring? And you know, he kind of smiled and he said, "I'd like to be here in the spring. Wouldn't that be nice, eh? Two good hockey teams <laughs> that are trending that way. A lot's going to happen between now and then, I'm sure." His his and Canadian to- really came out with that, eh? <laughs> yeah, he, he he never he really ever said spoke. Like I know that when he was here. Uh, no, he, he never had a Boston accent though. Never, never, never grew on him. Well, I also found it funny how he said he he was talking about how he got dinner last night or the night before at uh, at Strega, and people were asking him like for restaurant recommendations in Boston. He's like, I don't know. He's like, I I barely left Winchester except when I was going to the rink. So I found that funny too. But yeah, I mean, I think that would be a pretty storybook ending for Bruce Cassidy, right? He gets he he goes to the finals and beats the team that fired him. That'd be we would we wouldn't like to see that, but that would be pretty sweet justice for him. Yeah, it would, and it would be a great storyline. And I'm sure, I'm sure, like today, people come came out of the woodworks to cover this game. Like I was joking with Scott, like oh, all of a sudden people decided to cover the Bruins, um, because like they sent TV crews and different people to do like live hits pregame about Cassidy coming back and blah blah blah. But <laughs> it's just that's a storyline, people people would really like to to see i mean it's all it's already a great story i mean like 
the fact that he gets fired by the Bruins, the fact that he even had the opportunity to come here in December and be the team to be the first team to beat them at home this year is, I mean, obviously it's never happened before. Teams have never gone into December with a home winning streak. So the the fact that, that those stars aligned was 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 awesome for Bruce. Yeah, the fact that they, you know, the Avalanche didn't get a chance to do it because they didn't play very well, you know, the the night that the home game before. <laughs> so yeah, it, it is kind of it, it was interesting. And I feel like it was different. Like, by the way, as reporters, we've been going down and interviewing the guys after only wins for all this time. And so it was always really easy and comfortable to talk. And I feel like people forgot how to ask questions like after a loss, like didn't want to like ruffle feathers. So they were just like, Oh, I don't want him to be mad at me. So I'm not going to ask this question. And I feel like no one asked questions about Bruce Cassidy and no one asked questions about the, like even about like the win streak at home coming to an end. Like I swear, like no one asked, everyone was like, like, Quiet. Scott's yeah, Scott's but- interviewing Scott's Scott's interviewing uh Montgomery. He's like, way to go, dipshit. No, no, he was talking to Cassidy. A lot well, of the yeah, guys I was gonna were say, like, it, it didn't it didn't help that like sixty percent of the media corps went to talk to Cassidy instead, and and it was and just me for for <laughs> talking to the Bruins. Now, just kidding. Like for people who don't know, you really can't do both post game because the coaches tend to talk at the same time. The locker rooms are open at the same time, so it's not. In the playoffs, sometimes they, you know, space everything out so you can catch everyone. But in the regular season, it's like you basically have to pick a team. So, well, yeah, not us I would say because like, we got we got we're the, like the only outlet that usually has two people go. So me and Scott just like and, and sometimes there's separate players like available at different times in the Bruins locker room. So we're like tapping each other. You go get him. I'll go get. Him. I'll go talk to this person. <laughs> It's very helpful to have two yeah, people. I, I was say. thinking, like, I wonder if like Montgomery feels like, you know, kind of like the media got to see their ex, this, you know, these last couple of days. Like, and they were like, we're, hey, we're all going over doing? to talk to Cassidy yeah. after the game instead he's, of going to Montgomery's press conference. He's, he's home eating ice cream, watching chick flicks, <laughs> listening to sad music. <laughs> Uh, poor, poor, poor Monty. Let's not make jokes about exes coming back and, and, <laughs> People, you know, know, a lot of bad experiences with that. One one person I I can, I'm going to say none of us hope is is an ex is David Pasternak. Um, I think now is probably a good time to go to it. Um, Scott, I don't know if you have the question in front of you. If you want, you just want to, you know, give bullet point on it. But it's really more or less just, you know, what's what's the latest with this? I mean, the longer we go into the season, it's just like, you know, so I'll throw it to you. Yeah, so shout out to to listener Jeff, who emailed us basically asking like, you know, is there anything new on, on Pasternak? Um, you know, the, basically the last update we got was from the last time Sweeney talked uh, saying that him and Pasternak's agent were talking on a daily basis. Um, that was a while ago. And that was, it. so there hasn't obviously publicly, there certainly hasn't been any update. There hasn't even been any reporting, really. Like, we, you know, remember, like, probably the first couple of weeks of the season, I think it was Darren Drager had a report, like, that things were heating up. And then it was shortly after that that we got to talk to Sweeney and Pasternak, and they both confirmed that, yeah, like, they're talking every day. They hope something gets done. Well, we haven't gotten any updates since then. And part of that is that, uh, 
Sweeney hasn't had any media availability and that's because of the whole Mitchell Miller thing. Um, he talked, you know, right after that signing, then everything goes sideways. They end up cutting him, and Sweeney has not talked to the media since then. It feels um, like he's like being hidden from the media because like, I don't know. I'm, they had Neely come talk instead of him. And then I just kind of feel like he's been like in the background. Yeah. And uh, you know, I don't know if that's because obviously part of this uh, independent investigation is going to be, you know, it's going to have to be focused on Sweeney. Like yeah, if you're bringing people in to do that, then obviously the general manager is, is a big part of what you're looking at. Um, what do they don't he does he not want to self-incriminate like say the wrong thing oh i mean i think Doesn't he, get, he have a degree was his degree in harvard like law or something i forget what his degree was yeah, but i, I mean know. he's harvard educated i think he would know how to not like perjure himself or whatever whatever like i don't know yeah um, and and i mean and no one's really asked pasenak about it at all which i I'm fine. Like, I think, you know, at some, if there's a new report at some point or something, like obviously we'll ask Pasenak about it, but I think everyone kind of has taken the approach that like, there's not really any point in asking Pasenak about it every week or every two weeks. And Um, also he's just usually defaults to my, my agents handling it. Yeah. So. Right. Exactly. So. You know, I wish like we had some sort of concrete update, but I guess that, you know, the since there's not the bigger talking point is like, are we should we be worried that like this is still going on and there hasn't been anything? And I come kind of look at it as, you know, sometimes you see deals get done in like those first couple of weeks of the season, you know, because you talk during training camp and sometimes it just carries over a little bit we're sort of in a spot right now where like you don't really see that many deals getting done sort of like this, you know, Thanksgiving to Christmas stretch uh, or even a little after that. I mean, there was one recently, right? Uh, Rupe hints with Dallas um, agreed to an eight year extension last week. So like there's one big deal that got done around this time, but for the most part, like once you get out of that kind of like early season phase, sort of the next time you really start to see contracts get done is like closer to trade deadline, because then you see the teams, you know, wanting to make sure that they, they touch base with all their own free agents and try to get things done. So like, you'll see stuff around then, but I mean, that's not until March. So I don't, you know, I don't know if they're still talking every day. I'm sure they're talking fairly regularly, even if it's not quite every day. Um, but it's like at this point, what's what's really changing other than, pot, you know, like we can joke and say Pasenak keeps pushing his value higher. I mean, hmm. the reality is like his value is already very high. So I don't Well, know. Yeah, I was I was going to make the analogy that he's like, it's like the Bruins, they wanted to stop playing, you know, sitting at the poker table a long time ago. And Pasternak is on a hot streak. So he's just keeps you know he keeps going all in and he just keeps winning more money and winning more money and winning more money because he just keeps going and and he just keeps looking better and better um the Bruins would have liked to have had this done already um it's that's not the side that's holding things up I don't believe um they wanted this done yesterday I mean it could be if they're not if they're still apart on money I I mean how far apart on money could they be 
I don't know. What if the Bruins are offering 11 and Pasenak wants over 12? Like, it, I, I could see them being still like a million a year apart or something like that. Well, they're going to have to get closer to that number the longer they wait and the better Pasenak does. Like, really, that's kind of the reality of it. You're going to have to find that money and you're going to have to give it to him if you really want to keep him because he's worth more and more as he just looks better and better. Well, I mean, I think the Bruins need to figure out what it is that they want to do going forward. Like, if they, if they're conceding that, like, they're just going to be, you know, they're gonna, they're just gonna tank and rebuild after some some key guys go. Now, I, I understand that they have McAvoy under contract and Lindholm under contract. I get all that. But if Bergeron goes after this year and Krejci goes after this year and Marshan's on his, you know, final leg and they let Pashnak go. If you have McAvoy and Lindholm and you know a couple other good players, like you're not going to do much. Now I don't believe that's what they want to do, and I, I don't want them to do that. Uh, but I can tell you this: if if he goes to the uh, if this goes to the off season and he's not signed, but with with the Bruins, my confidence is that he's going elsewhere. I don't I'm not confident at all he signs with Boston, um, because then I start I think you start to see that they really are far apart on on dollar value and. I don't know. I just, I'm not confident if it goes to the off season or that like no. you want to be able to test other fits. You know what I mean? Like talk to other teams, well, get, get other numbers, but also get other like assurances about their, their viability in the next five years. And we've talked about how that's stupid and that it's unpredictable anyway. Um, and that that shouldn't be a, like a huge factor. Um, because just look at how the Bruins played this year. It was better than anyone expected. So, you, you know, you could end up thinking you're going to a team that's going to win the cup and that team doesn't like, it's so hard to predict who's going to win the cup at I, any I, given year. So I will say my, here's my, here's my biggest fear. My biggest fear is that the Bruins end up being one of the best teams in the league this year. If not the best team, they go to the playoffs and they lose. And then Pashnak says, well, Jesus, uh, Bergeron's going, Krejci's going. This was our chance. I don't think, I don't think I'm going to have a chance to win here going for, as good of a chance to win here going forward. I'm going to look at my options. That's my biggest fear. If it goes to the offseason, and the Bruins don't win because I mean, if it, it might not be, it might not be money for him. It, it really could be what's the team set up for down the line. That, that's what was reported in the summer too. So um, like I said, it, I'm, I'm going to give them, I'm going to give the Bruins the time that they need to get this done this year. But if it goes to the off season, I'm officially uh, not confident. Yeah. I mean, obviously like you would have to lose some confidence if it gets that far. I don't think it totally means he's gone though. And like the one example I get, I think there's a couple examples, but most recently, I'd point to Philip Forsberg last summer who, you know, all, him and the Predators, like all year there were reports of them talking. Are they going to get a deal done? Um, are they going to trade them? And they end up agreeing to an extension literally the day before free agency begins. And, and he stays. So it is doable. Like there, there's time between the, even if you go to the cup finals, there's, a little bit of time between end of the season and start of free agency um, where you still have exclusive negotiating rights. So it's not, it's not impossible, but obviously you don't want it to get that far because at that point, like if 
Pasenak is tempted to test free agency, then it's very easy to just wait that extra couple of weeks and, and do it. Whereas, you know, now like that's, that's still a ways off. So there's still an opportunity to, Hey, maybe he just wants to get a deal done and, you know, not have to worry about this for six more months or whatever. Um, I, something that's clear is that it's it's not affecting his play. The uncertainty nope. or anything, the negotiations have not really distracted him or the Bruins um, as a team, at least in any sort of way. Management that's another that's another story, but it's it's interesting. It's it's a very interesting thing to try to follow and put everything together, especially not knowing like how good they're going to be. I mean, they're only this good because they have their two top centers signed to like ridiculously team friendly deals. And you're not, that's not realistic for long term. So it is the, like the window is what the window is. Um, and it's really great that the Bruins were able to get, you know, some of their guys to, to take those team friendly deals, but you're not, get, not getting foster knock on a team friendly deal, not even close. So uh, say, it you, does you, limit the ability for the team to be good. The more money that he takes. I'm going to say you, you tell him, you tell him we can get you multiple number one centers. If you play for one and a half million dollars a year. <laughs> yeah. You think he'll go for that? Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. See, here's, here's the thing too. It's like, if he if he goes to free agency and he goes to another team and the Bruins lose him for nothing, I mean, the Bruins are screwed. I mean, because like I said, I'm I'm glad they have McAvoy for nine years and I'm glad they have Lindholm for another five after this, whatever it is, six or seven. Um, but if you lose the projected top goal scorer in your franchise's history at 26, 27 years old, and you also have to replace, you know, your top two centers, like good luck finding any players to even be a tenth of those guys ever like absolute diamonds in the rough. again those players bergeron is a he's a he's a generational you know two-way forward i just mentioned pashnak is projected to be the all-time leading goal scorer for the boston bruins that's not somebody you just get in a draft in like 2025 like it just doesn't happen so you better you better resign this kid otherwise you're screwed and i will feel no i will I don't know. I might, I might turn on the Bruins if they let this happen. And, you know, look, there's the possibility the Bruins, the Bruins or the kitchen sink at them and do everything that they can. And, and Pashnak just says, sorry guys, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not staying, but uh, I don't see it. I think he wants to stay in Boston. It's up to the Bruins to make sure he get he stays. And if he doesn't, then shame on the Bruins. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Uh, so just to clear on Lindholm McAvoy, it's identically your deals. They're both here through through 2030 um yeah i i I do think pasenak wants to stay here um if there are those i think in a perfect world he wants to stay here i also think he probably does want some assurances about what the future is going to look like and you know that there's not going to be some sort of lengthy rebuild um that's going to like take up half of his contract um you know like i think I think guys look at what, you know, a, what say like Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves have had to endure in Chicago and think like, well, I, I want to make sure, you know, I don't end up, don't end up in that situation. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I wish we had like, I would, I don't, you know, I wish there was some sort of reporting on like how, you know, if one of the, one of these big national guys, like, 
could get how far apart they are in money, if if at all. Like you know, to your point, like maybe they've already thrown the kitchen sink at him, and he says like I you know I just want to wait. Like I don't feel a rush to sign right now, but. Um, I almost feel like this past offseason, there was a lot of fly by the seat of your pants decisions as well. Like Bergeron and Krejci didn't know for sure they were going to sign with the Bruins until they like had some time off. Like, I don't know if he just wants to like sit on it. You know what I mean? After the season ends and just sit on it. Yeah. I mean, that's possible too. And not like, obviously Obviously, you know, Pasnak has every right to wait as long as he wants or look at whatever he needs to look at because, yes, like he signed a six-year deal that, you know, that's what's expiring now. But, like, this is the biggest decision of his life, and it's going to be the most money he'll ever make because assuming assuming it is, you know, it can be an eight-year deal in Boston, a seven-year deal somewhere else. Assuming that's what he signs for and he isn't looking for some something shorter – like that covers his entire prime. His next deal after that, he's in his mid thirties and it's not going to be that kind of money or year. So, you know, this it's like just about the biggest decision he's, he's ever made. So um, it's understandable if he wants some sort of assurances that like four years of it, aren't going to be wasted trying to, you know, bring along, prospects x y and z that you hope develop into something and that there's going to be a little more certainty well i mean if you have if you have him included if you have him and and mcavoy lindholm and a couple others like you are you, you swim and all marks like you have you have enough there to build around i think he and so i mean it, yeah it, and, it really and still still a couple more years of marshand and hall too exactly so like it, you know it and more or less the whole rebuild thing it's like it's almost dependent on what he decides, which is kind of ironic, yeah, but I true. mean, like, you know, I think my gut is telling me, I don't know when, uh, but I do think he's going to resign with the Bruins. And, and the, the main reason I think that and it just kind of came to me when you were talking to Scott is um, the, uh, why am I blanking on what, what, what uh, Bergeron's former agent's name? Kent Hughes. Yeah. 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 Kent Hughes. And, and when he was talking about, on a podcast, he was talking about, uh, you know, the, the, the example that he set in Boston and how, you know, Marchand wouldn't take more than Bergeron and he passed up nine, five to go to Montreal to stay in Boston for six, five. And, and I just think that Pashnak is 26 years old. He's been in Boston since he was 18 and it's crazy to think how long he's been a Bruin. I mean, he, his tenure in Boston dates back to like, he played with, Dan Paye, Greg Campbell, Lucic, Chara, Seidenberg, like McQuaid. He played with all these guys, you know, in their final years in Boston. Um, you know, obviously Krug and, and Marshan and Bergeron and Tuca. I think I think Pashnak and McAvoy, but since we're talking about Pashnak right now, I think they take great pride in being that next generation to, you know, instill the culture that was there before them. And I think Pashnak knows that he's a big part of that going forward. And he wants to, you know, him and McAvoy, I think they want to do justice to the guys that came before them that helped them throughout their career. So I, I would be surprised if, if he would, if he would leave, um, because I do think he takes great pride in that. And so does somebody like Charlie McAvoy. So it, it comes back to that for me. I think ultimately that will be one of the biggest reasons he'll probably end up staying. 
Yeah. Not only that, Brian, like without him, you also don't attract players. Like without him on the team, like it changes your dynamic to convince other players to come um, in free agency and whatnot. Like you see it in other sports, like good players want to play with good players um, and you lose him. And there's just not that guy that, and, and that dynamic that you can be like, okay, well, kids growing up nowadays, they want to play with Pasternak. Like that's, that's a guy that um, some of the younger guys in the league would love to play with. Um, and so it, you see it, I, I don't really want to make a new England Patriots comparison, but um, you know, you lose Tom Brady, you have a harder time getting people who want to come on friendly deals and, and just try to, you know, get a run at a Super Bowl or whatnot. Um, in, in that comparison. So it, it does uh, like a lot hinges on it. Yeah. And, and Brian, to your point about leadership, like Pasanak and McAvoy continue to rotate the the second A this season. Um, and, you know, Pasanak had been wearing it regularly with McAvoy out and now McAvoy's wearing it a bit too. Um, but yeah, like that they're, they're already kind Give of him the A role. as much as he wants. Yeah, and, and, and they're and they're embracing it like like you know they're not it's not like they're not putting the A on Pasanak's sweater just because he's the best player or whatever. I think that's a role he he is actually embracing and like working to become a better leader. So that that's already happening, and like I think that helps kind of highlight, and that's part probably part of the pitch to him is like this is you and McAvoy like the, you know this is your team going forward you got like you guys are the next generation you're the ones that it's going to be built around so um, that's a hard decision who to put the C on like McAvoy or Pasternak if, if like when Bergeron eventually retires if they're yeah. both there that's a hard decision I mean it'll probably be Marshawn first if yeah, he's still true. around so then it'll be you know someone after him I would I would lean seventy three, but you never know. Yeah, yeah, I think I would agree with that. But unless you know, that's the key selling point. I'll, I'll stay. I'll, I'll stay only if I'm captain. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine, fine, fine. Um, yeah, and, and obviously, but I'm not I'm not insinuating that um, that pass snack um would take below market value when I, when i'm speaking about leadership i just mean like like they're gonna have to pay him i just more so mean like you know he, i do think they take pride in that going forward to being those next guys and also as far as like you know assuring that you're not that you're not gonna go through a rebuild like with with the hard cap in the nhl these days like no team can guarantee you know past a couple of years everybody's got everybody's up to the cap and everybody's got it's just it's just the way that it is so if you can have a strong core of players you can continue to build around it. I mean, obviously, like the Bruins really need to figure out center ice. But but anyway, so if McAvoy and Pashnak are, are the key building blocks, then you already you already have a leg up on most other teams that would be in a similar situation. So hopefully we answered Jeff's question to the best of our abilities with the limited information that we have. Um, but long story short, Jeff, we have no idea what's gonna happen. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we we have we have a uh we, we, we tend to have gut instincts that he'll stick around. We just don't know when. Um, did you guys have any any final thoughts? No. I, I Anyone don't. else who wants to send send emails, skatepod at wei.com. Hop right in Scott's DMs. <laughs> or, or that, yeah, you can do that too. <laughs> Scott McLaughlin at Hotmail. 
All right. Um, well, that'll wrap it up for this one. The, uh, the Bruins lose to the Vegas Golden Knights 4-3 in a shootout. They're 14-0-1 at home, 23-1 overall. They play, they play Colorado on Wednesday night and then Arizona on Friday. And then Vegas again on Monday, right? Or Sunday. Yeah, I think Sunday. So this gauntlet's not over yet. Not over yet. Uh, Florida, Carolina, Tampa, that's what, three and one, Colorado four and one. So they're four one and one so far in this this really tough stretch, which you know, it's pretty good, but it's not over yet. So thank you guys for listening. We will talk soon. Mm-hmm.